You're listening to Teatro Mundi Live. I'm Andrea Cedrulo, program curator at Teatro Mundi, and in this episode of our In Conversation series, I have the pleasure of speaking with our TM Research Fellow, Susana Haslam, and our studio manager, Lou Atesa Marcelon. Susana and Lou have cultivated friendship as they cultivated a garden together in South London. During these outdoor encounters, they've mused on ecosophy, how we can learn from non-human organizations, and what a return to modular principles of education, such as lifelong learning, could mean for our societies. Susana will tell us more about her fellowship with Teatro Mundi, which draws on her doctoral studies and interest in alternative educational curricula. What does it actually mean to build a cultural institution? We will also discuss the tension between innovation and stability, learning and unlearning, and the benefits and risks of becoming institutionalized. Lua de Saint-Marcelin is the founder of Diaspora, a multidisciplinary research platform, as well as News, a seasonal school exploring the making of landscapes in rural and urban environments. So um, really this this kind of question of cultural infrastructure for me emerged first through my uh, doctoral research, which was concerned with alternative arts education as both an aesthetic and political project uh, after 2008, so after the global ec uh, economic uh, crisis. And it was the kind of meeting of a series of, of different concerns that I had at that time, um, one of which was my own involvement in having set up a, a sort of nomadic seminar program called Journey School. And Journey School uh, was both a kind of political and celebratory project, which was about kind of finding discursive or critically discursive spaces um, within this kind of abundance of self-organized art spaces at the time, so around kind of 2010, 2011. And of course, this 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 had a huge amount to do with the fact that there was, uh, you know, there were increasing kind of obstacles to kind of entering entering into kind of formalized institutionalized version of of, of high, higher education at that at that time. And so, not least, there was the kind of raise the hike, the continued hike in tuition fees. I think the last of which was around twenty twelve. Well. More recently, obviously, we've had another one, but at the, at the time, you know, the, 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 this kind of issue of kind of tuition fees and sort of financialized kind of processes that were impacting access to higher education and the arts but also the kind of increased professionalization the increased standardization so it's kind of flattening i guess which is often talked about um, or kind of framed as this kind of um as, as being sort of subservient to the kind of marketized higher education economy and so there were a number of different kind of factors that played into uh, setting up this this project journey school another of which was this kind of abundance of alternative uh, sorry not alternative but self-organized or kind of art spaces um at the time and certainly being kind of situated in southeast london you know in peckham and camberwell between these two spaces which you know had this kind of which was sort of framed by goldsmith on the one hand and camberwell so there are many different kind of spaces emerging, but they seem to kind of lack discursive components. So it was this kind of opportunity, I guess, to kind of try and carve out a space. And it, this was all kind of happening um, uh, around the same time as, as what has been called, um, framed to be arts um, educational turn or the educational turn in art and curating. And some of the questions are, um, concerning uh, this kind of turn, I guess, to education in art 
were, were, were very similar to what I've just kind of uh, articulated or kind of framed to be the, the sort of the, the increased kind of financialization of higher education, but also um, thinking about alternative spaces, means and kind of models of, 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 of that. But also another kind of point within arts educational term was this, this idea of art kind of instrumentalizing educational formats to its own end. And so anyway, there's a bit of a context there. I set up, I co-configured this project with my partner, Martha McGuinn, and we ended up talking the project to its demise or to its kind of sort of temporary suspension. And what I mean by that is we ended up spending more time talking about it in kind of public art for then we then we were kind of organizing this project which again as i said was this kind of political and celebratory project carving out kind of space and unbound kind of space for kind of knowledge and and kind of conversation and dialogue and the presentation of work without the kind of rubric of being in a crit in in, in our sports instance and so that kind of happened we, we we sort of talked it to its demise and 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 in, in so doing a kind of was increasingly concerned with like the why of that you know so what happens when the alternative becomes uh completely concerned with itself and i was finding a similar set of questions resonating with this kind of wider frame of the educational turn so anyway my my my, my phd project um uh took its form to kind of attend to this question and 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 it was it was kind of concerned with this sort of afterward of the educational turn you know and specifically it was looking at kind of modeling and models of education or models of, of, of different organizational structures that might work for arts education that were kind of not the university but they were not negating the institution of the university but maybe were working proximate to them but then maybe were not solely concerned with being uh, spaces to show art necessarily but were kind of again these kind of critical and discursive spaces so i was really concerned with this idea of kind of organization and kind of models of alternative uh, arts education um, and some of the kind of uh, I guess conclusions formally of which were around this idea of kind of hybrid hybridity or kind of hybrid practices so that which you know would would maybe kind of return to the kind of modular kind of ethos or the modular kind of principles of education whereby um, you know it was drawing in kind of um, maybe more theoretical kind of considerations around lifelong learning, dialogic kind of uh, 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 thinking around uh, sort of relational practices, essentially premising kind of people and thinking at the heart of whatever whatever is taking place at the time. So I worked with a number of different organisations, um, uh, some of which were the Leeds Creative Time Bank, so looking at the model of the time bank uh, network and time bank system thinking about kind of common pool resources. I worked with uh, the syllabus program at Weising Art Centre, which again focused on this idea of professional development for artists. Um, I worked with a, a co-working space. At the time, co-working uh, was, was very much a kind of thing, a kind of concept that was still kind of emerging and still being, you know, this propositional kind of like, uh, almost like utopian alternative to workspaces so rather kind of I guess um, interestingly those things have sort of had their lifespan and have, have been quickly sort of um, uh, underlined I guess with 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 COVID-19 um, this year so this quickly became a concern with the idea of infrastructure so what the infrastructure of education 
kind of is, what it was, what it needs to be, how it manifests in urban contexts and specifically in, 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 in at London from, from where I'm based and where I work. And I think it, it very became very quickly became a question of infrastructure because I think you know as with a, any prolonged kind of period of research you kind of exhaust a series of, of, of options and so on and and much of my my conclusion was was based on the fact that art as an institution itself um, was recuperating the practice of education or the practice of pedagogy and the practice of learning to its own end so providing it was it was it was a, a conversation of arts education or art and education it w was always kind of bound by this um almost this triangulation between uh, a market and an education institution and then this kind of notion of, of contemporary or contemporary art and so infrastructure just very quickly um being uh, something understood to be this kind of spectra of, uh, of of different qualities of different intensities um i often talk about it in relation to how uh, marina Schmidt has framed it in her kind of uh sort of pricey to this notion of practice of infrastructural critique um, and she talks about the kind of this this pull or this kind of bind between the material and symbolic resources of the institution. So I, I very much understand infrastructure in the first instance to be something that is inextricably bound in a relationship to the institution, whatever the institution might be. In this case, education, art. Um, and I think that's that's a really interesting space. It presents many different tensions, but also many different kind of potentialities. Um, certainly in terms of what infrastructure can do i.e what infrastructure might be able to do as a, as a sort of a means of intervening on, on certain institutional practices and so i guess maybe it's important to kind of take a few steps back we have this kind of huge space huge field of of of, of infrastructure of infrastructural studies which in terms of the scholarship you know emerged around the kind of thresholding of, of kind of science technology studies um, and cybernetics and had this kind of very broad kind of basis in terms of like new me media theory, uh, network theory, network cultures, this sort of thing. And so there's a really kind of rich and really incredible kind of scholarly kind of history and, and, and sort of practices concerned with infrastructure. But as I, as I understand, um, uh, you know, the, the, the project that Teatro Mundi uh, around making cultural infrastructure is concerned with, it's, it's a lot of it is more to do with the kind of affective nature of infrastructure. So the kind of more personal, uh, kind of situated, um, uh, relational um, aspects of, of infrastructure um, became increasingly of interest. So if, if Tetra Mundi's uh, kind of concern um, with this project is, is how to design for, or how to design the infrastructural conditions that support culture. How not to design them. That's one of the main things, how not to design them. Because a lot of the time there is this kind of interventionist approach from mm. design and architecture. Right. Um, which does not really reflect the necessities or even, you know, the different functions or relations that exist as you say yeah so it's quite constrictive yeah yeah, yeah. whilst leaving a space open can mean many more things than you know saying what it's going to be who is going to be there who's going to relate to whom so th those kinds of things the dynamics within the space so yeah I think it has a lot to do with designing but also with 
not designing. Yeah, fine. No, that's that's really good. I think that also is a good clarification because um, perhaps that represents the sort of evolution of the project through the organisation. My own research, my own fellowship, um, sort of be began to kind of manifest around um, these questions, um, and around the same time that Tetra Mundi were invited by Tanya Bergera to. Uh, put together a kind of um, series of discussions or kind of close, um, sorry, put together a kind of day around at the, at the Tate that would work to kind of close her, um, the Hyundai Commission um, that she uh, had between 2018 and 2019 at Tate Modern. And so initially my research asked how existing cultural infrastructure might be put to work in new ways. So using the Tate Modern as a sort of initial um, or preliminary case study for these questions. And I think that, so I worked with John, uh, John Bingham Hall to uh, put together a day of discussions at the Tate Exchange, which is also kind of an important kind of factor of this because Tate Exchange sits as this kind of um, almost this kind of like antennae on top of or about or on the side of actually probably more accurately the Tate Modern. Um, so the, 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 the sort of infrastructure that we were kind of being exposed to of, of the Tate um, uh, through the Tate Modern and then more specifically through this kind of platform, which is, I think it is framed as a platform, the Tate Exchange, which kind of sits again, as I said, as this kind of appendage rather than being this kind of fully integrated space. So it's, it's a sort of an open platform for um, practitioners, thinkers um, to, to kind of come in and come into the Tate Modern and to uh, program. And the, the, the objective really, I mean, the objective, but what we wanted to do was issue a series of dialogues around the museum or about the museum through the museum to invite practitioners whose work is engaged with these questions um, in a very kind of pragmatic and practical sense and engage their voices with the institution. So the, the, the idea, at its foundation with, 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 the, with the discussions at the Tate was to engage a series of kind of new dialogues with the museum, or engage a series of new voices with the museum. And so we had it, we, we issued, oh, not issued, but we put together um, collaboratively a series of, of kind of panel uh, or kind of open kind of conversations throughout the day. The first of which was engaged with this idea of questions that you'd want to ask the museum or questions that you want to ask the institution. And so a lot of this um, stemmed from a series of questions around the kind of exclusionary kind of politics of the contemporary art or contemporary cultural museum, specifically in London specifically, specifically in the UK and then within this kind of broader framework of, of, of Europe and looking at the kind of systems and the kind of levels of, of certain insidious systemic behaviours that are operating which again are preventative or exclusionary to black voices, to black female voices for instance, to people of colour, to artists of colour, to practitioners whose identities and whose work aren't always necessarily engaged so easily with a cultural institution or a cultural museum. And so some of these questions around what you would like to ask the, the, the institution um, framed that, um, uh, that first panel. We then had a second kind of panel dis discussion um, 
around this idea of everyday practices. So what can you do every day, whether proximate, whether within or whether external to the museum or the institution that ultimately rewrite the, the, the very kind of politics of those spaces. Um, and so we had um, this kind of, this, this panel was, was framed around the curator, um, Eva Rosen's question of who does the washing up, which I think kind of articulates um, everything and, 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 and anything that kind of could, could go along with that question. So we were looking at the different kind of networks of affiliation, the who, the what, who does the washing up, quite frankly, and who should be doing the washing up, for instance. We then had, um, uh, a, a panel that was uh, based on the artist Yuri Patterson's uh, uh, project at Chisholm Gallery uh, user space and we th th that panel was looking uh, specifically at what the kind of cultural offer of a city can do to again make visible or what it is doing to exclude certain voices or certain kind of ideas or, or how those kind of those I guess prohibitory sort of restriction restrictive kind of measures or protocols are met with certain um, kind of uh, processes practices of something like gentrification or regeneration um, specifically in London over the past 10 years which then led to a final panel discussion looking at the kind of idea of uh, critical organization or critical kind of practices that might be about solidarity between kind of institutional settings and non-institutional practices for instance so the whole day again to just summarize was was kind of bringing a series of different kind of conversations and voices together that would begin to I guess articulate um, some of some of those questions and address some of those questions in a bit more detail. The first of which is around this idea of systemic behaviour. The second is or has been looking at sort of DIY and self-organisation in relation to the institution. The third is looking at the kind of broader urban context and what what a cultural infrastructure is or what a radical kind of cultural infrastructural practice might be. And the third of which again comes back to that idea of solidarity between the institution and between infrastructure and, and, and organisational practices. So I'm, I'm having a series, uh, I'm working with a, seri a series of practitioners who are, who are either working within these fields or kind of working proximate to them in order to kind of, I guess, yeah, find out or kind of plunge into a bit more of kind of granular detail in, in relation to these themes which then directly kind of inform the shaping of, of this of this uh, curriculum and I'm interested um, more generally I guess to, to kind of maybe discuss how something like a curricula or a curriculum um, becomes this kind of like radical model of education or this kind of um, kind of interesting and kind of slightly discreet slightly hidden um, model of intervention or in many ways more specifically related to what we're talking about is a really exciting and engaging um, form of, of, of kind of educational infrastructure that is so often a given and so often part of the kind of furniture of an educational experience or an educational encounter or an institution now, as you were speaking, so then I think um, it's when you were referring to Tate, and you mentioned this bridging of the non-institutional non practices, bringing them together with institutions, for example. Um, so you used, I think, the verb to include or to give, which to me sound like very um, kind of active verbs, no? 
So I'm thinking, how would this be done from an institution like Tate without, you know, falling into a trap of patronizing or forming that curriculum, which is already pre-established in more perhaps subliminal or subtle ways, which have a lot to do with the tone of the voice in which already even our panel might have been formatted around that same kind of like, you know, tone and mm, expressions and kind of ways of bodily almost interaction. Um, so these are these are big assumptions that I'm making that probably, you know, are very distinctive. But what I mean is, how could it be done? How could that be? How could you open a space to make it less stringent or restrictive, as you were saying, without falling into those traps? Because surely, you know, that would require a more deep structural change uh, and also physical ones and the architectural arrangements and how the symbolic meaning within the city of these spaces are um, established. So, you know, would that mean, for example, to look at other places where that is already occurring? For example, I'm thinking in certain communities, it could be our neighborhoods, a very important um, kind of, you know, educational motor would be Sunday school. I'm thinking of that, which is in itself already a formed thing. How could you possibly work with institutions that are so different from what the meaning already that is embedded or intrinsic and in more consolidated curriculums? I, mean, I think there is something about to, to, to say about reliance here, like because a lot of community engagement or educational engagement in art institution is, I mean, you know, if we're honest, it's also a lot to do about public funding and this is how they get their money. It's by engaging with communities primarily. So we can't forget that, I think. But then mm -hmm. within that premises, like this idea of reliance, so like the institution needs the community for this X, Y, Z reasons. And the community could do with the support of the institution. Um, but at the moment I feel in, not in every cases, but in institution like Tate, maybe it's, like how much do you do do they give to each other and how much do they benefit from each other? I guess there we would have to go to the root of what an institution is or can be potentially. <laughs> That's kind of a big question. But in terms of bridging non-institutions or whatever you want to call them um, and institutions and form a curricula that is emerges, that is different, that is more open, that is more honest perhaps and this kind of like allows for this dialogic space that Susanna was talking about, uh, the infinite conversation, which I believe is one of your main uh, references in your PhD research. Um, so yeah, these spaces that are not constraining, that don't have already a agenda um, and, and, and regulate the possibilities that you know might be there already. My question specifically with this research is how can uh, this, you know, this supposed kind of institutional model or mode become um, active, become politicized, become kind of radical? How can it be kind of taken on as, as something that is not just this kind of conduit of someone else's one person's kind of idea of, of knowledge for instance in, in just very very crude terms so i'm kind of interested in the kind of radical capacity of that and i kind of believe that if you can take that outside of 
a more conventional institution setting and think about how some an organization like Tetra Mundi could put to work or practice a curriculum then what you know what what does that what does that say who who is engaged in that curriculum who may not be if it was solely bound to an institutional context. Let's say curriculum, just because it's, it's there's a sort of catch-all kind of uh, term in a way. Because I think the kind of in, the sort of museum kind of equivalent is a program, right? Is a public program or something like this. Within an educational setting, it's a curriculum. Within something else, it would be, you know, maybe something to do with policy making or something like this. But the point being is, is this kind of model or framework that is that is directly taken from this kind of like institutionalization of knowledge, discipline, curriculum, etc and reconfigured or repurposed but this idea of it being ever evolving co-produced this, this this kind of multi-vocal kind of manifestation of something of, of, of knowledge of practice of whatever is also kind of i think there's something really interesting in relation to i think what andrea said about how you can truly kind of get to the space where it's not just recuperated by an institutional practice or history or legacy. And it reminded me of um, the School of the Damned um, as this kind of like alternative MFA project, which is premised, so I worked with, with them, um, my, my PhD, and one of the kind of main, I guess, kind of ideas or, or kind of conversations that came from that was this idea that the reason why School of the Damned is kind of like is at its heart this 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 kind of alternative and radical practice is that it doesn't operate according to an institutional legacy so an institutional legacy does not exist in in that project because every single year and the new group of students or the community that it that it engages is different and rewrites what the organization is for that particular period of time but i maybe i'd kind of like to answer that question via some um by by a different kind of organizational kind of strands and i think this goes back to what i was saying at the beginning when i was talking about some of the um sort of dialogues that i had with different organizations that were kind of putting some of these ideas to work but in maybe discrete ways outside of art for instance or outside of kind of the immediate kind of context of, of arts education and you know there were many kind of instances around stuff like the time bank network or the time bank model which is based on an alternative understanding of kind of value valuation or kind of exchange so while there the, there are the kind of elements of kind of transaction which are kind of based on you know maybe more of a kind of financialized kind of idea of something taking those kind of that model of transaction and replacing something like cash with skill or knowledge based uh, uh, exchanges it's like replacing kind of discrete elements so taking on a model like taking out a model like the curriculum like a programming model like an exchange or transactional model and replacing certain kind of conditions or certain elements with that so thinking about the time bank as this kind of option as a, as a model you begin to think in, in in on very in very localized terms about a thing so whether you, whether it's as kind of um, I don't know, as crude as, oh, I need um, to have some gardening done, but I'm really good at writing funding applications. So who can I maybe engage with who can, you know, practically 
uh, help me with my garden in turn for me helping them write that. I mean, this is a really crude example, but that this, this exact, this idea of reciprocity that is kind of conditioned in like a non-cash uh, series of transactions or non-financialized series of transactions because the value system is is set according to need and desire and I think and, and demand I guess so that in, in in many ways kind of is intrinsically kind of you know correlated to maybe a market logic but the point being is that kind of like mode mode exact like mode or kind of element of exchange is based, based on something completely distinct from cash and so the, va the value of knowledge of skills of certain practices kind of is reconfigured or reset in in many ways to a sort of an equilibrium yeah we did, um, we did something like this with diaspora with john yeah. hill um but it was based on around favors right um because i i think there was a maybe like a discussion around what's the value like in terms of value of skills and time you give maybe it's it's still like um not as you could have um different sort of system like judgment of value on you know maybe funding application is more timely than a bit of gardening so there was it was based around favors rather than time but it's, right. it's the same principle like you you know i post a letter and maybe you come and help me move a sofa i think there's something kind of interesting in in the idea that um co-working again um offers i guess an element of chance and in terms of kind of work and productivity and so it kind of reconceptualizes what work and productivity might be you know when you're working with someone who is in a different sector or a different kind of whatever just in really crude terms as well so an example being um the, a project an organization that i was working with was the cube um based in shoreditch and it was one of london's smallest and kind of first co-working spaces um but it was very much premised on the idea of knowledge exchange and so you know there would be a membership fee and all of these kind of things and so it was kind of borrowing these kind of systems of of, of, of membership and, and so on and certain organizational structures and yet at its heart was um premised on the idea that i guess work working time would become enriched by the kind of possibility of working with others in unexpected terms in unexpected ways and i guess the idea of like possibility is something that i'm also kind of interested in there the bringing together of different kind of voices and experiences and encounters and understanding that as a discrete kind of educational learning environment in itself i think is kind of it's kind of interesting as well yeah i guess through our project urban backstages we've been seeing quite a lot of examples of that in, right. in different in different cities uh, here in, well, in London, for example, around Elephant Castle, there's yes. a Latin American, most of the Latin American community that, you know, is based on that kind of working, sort of like an exchange of reciprocity of um, helping each other, uh, the, effective, the effective aspects that you were mentioning at the beginning, Susanna. And that is mainly what it is. There's not much more than that. And then next door, there's this new development called um, Hotel Elephant and Spare Street that is branded again as a co-working space, yeah. where, but no one is really co-working. 
So it doesn't really, you know, it's like, yeah, just their compartments and each person is doing their own work. Yeah. Uh, There's no space even for socializing. There's a little cafe and it's managed by uh, one person, um, orchestrated by that same person. So there's no real kind of ecosystem there that is emerging constantly or that is open for that occurrence for these kinds of encounters or possibilities. Um, But yeah, there are many examples of of that sort of structure that you're talking about. it is it is definitely it is definitely there it exists we can find many examples of spaces that are run in that way yeah yeah but i i think also going back to the idea of kind of reciprocity that is i guess demonstrated through those two examples or those two models um and also what you've just uh mentioned andrea uh, around those kind of communities of work or communities of practice at Elephant and the many other examples I think that the project has has been working with. Um, you know, I think what's kind of interesting about reciprocity is it can kind of be understood on, on many different scales and beyond the kind of maybe more obvious kind of idea of kind of human exchange or, kind of, you know, and so what it, what it is to be reciprocal or what a practice or a model is to be reciprocal or what an infrastructure or an institution is to be reciprocal kind of um is makes it makes a very specific departure from this idea of an institution or knowledge or discipline or curriculum or educational environment or kind of cultural institution It, it distinguishes that element of kind of giving and taking and i guess the language of kind of banking and transaction and exchange is kind of interesting here because it's also completely inappropriate <laughs> the kind of thing that we're talking about but what I mean is like it, it moves from being this kind of issue of giving to this um reciprocal kind of relationship whereby everyone is contributing to a specific agenda or a specific thing I and mean, we've talked about the curriculum as this kind of as one example in particular in relation to loose projects but also more, more generally if we think about you know on the one hand we can think about kind of notions of friendship as a sort of as a, as a sort of working condition or as a sort of working practice which Lou and I have discussed quite a lot in in, this, in the work that we've done together um, and and I guess a, an interesting question for me is how that can be kind of scaled up so when we think about friendship as this kind of consolidation of reciprocity in scale terms so in relation to the kind of um, relationships personal relationships that one might have with another person how can we kind of think about what that is when it's scaled up to modular or kind of organizational or institutional level i think what's interesting in what you just said it's again bringing us back to like how you link the community to the institutions and so on because if you talk about friendship like also why friendship from previous conversation we had um, seemed like a a really good model for working is because also a lot of the self-initiative sort of art space or research platform or also on um, totally rely on on friendship to 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 make things happen so you rely on people willingness and interest to produce things for things, some for an event you organize, and you rely on a friend to borrow. I don't know 
a PA system and you rely on someone else to do something else for you. So it's always, you always need this sort of exchange of like favors uh, to be able to do anything, right? Because often you don't have the money. Uh, mm. And I think where, like, I lost my thread um, with the institution. I suppose, like, why maybe you would need the institution? It's also then to have this financial support and visibility and sort of all this infrastructure, not just the space or the finance, but also like the amazing infrastructure of people who make the institution because frankly they're often the same people who then on the side do their independent work so it's like also the infrastructure of knowledge that people you know who work in institution can then share with with you know maybe um, organizations that are a bit smaller or not as well versed in, in, in some ways in, in the field or start from scratch. So it's like, you know, and I think the bridge is really also maybe needs to happen through the people. Who, exactly. You know, yeah. the people. Perhaps also have something to do though, as you speak, I think it has something to do with providing stability. Stability yeah. of some sort. Yeah, longevity as well. And because through that stability, then you can layer and you can start through time generating bonds and trust and you know that kind of foundation that you need for it to flourish. Yeah. Um, the vulnerability, you know, more fragile aspect of like certain I don't know art communities in London at least or migrant businesses, uh, agglomerations, whatever that you can call them. Um, is is they, they share that in common that vulnerability to external or exogenous forces that have a lot to do with Susanna was talking about that is you know economic transactions that kind of pushing or cashing out um, so yeah perhaps how they could intervene is by providing these things that kind of stability that yeah. would allow for a more con continuous sort of solid relation relational model something yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think I think that's that's a really important way to kind of I guess move back into the kind of focus of an organisation the size of uh, Tetramundi, in the sense that you know on the, the the there's a very kind of fine line between this idea of kind of an institutional legacy becoming problematic, but it also being like you know highly stabilizing or highly kind of desire desirable in in many ways because i think the the, the offer of, of of being consolidated as or towards an institution or something like this means everything from economic stability to uh structural stability and to process and logic and xyz and so on and so forth but i think you know using the example of using just to try and give two examples of when maybe one's problematic and maybe one's a bit more kind of um, encouraging you know when you think about how um certain education institutions are based on and continually continually um proffer from their institutional legacy which may again have been to do with the who and the what i.e the, the sort of meeting of certain kind of communities of practice at a certain time you know right time right place kind of 
kind of vibe um and and sort of you know proffer from that and yet the kind of day-to-day reality of such an institution couldn't be further from that idea of the legacy that it is conjuring up and using as an entity as to, to sell itself. Also this kind of notion of being protected or being cared for, right? By what an institution stands for or what an organization stands for. But I think this is kind of interesting because there is this fine line of it be, of, of, of a sort of legacy being built, being, um, being problematic or, being kind of desirable as well. Many thanks, Susanna and Lou, for what could have been uh, an infinite conversation. Until next time. <laughs>